What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and every Monday I hop on here and give you guys my top 10 fantasy football takeaways and lessons learned and go through the things from Sunday that stood out to me. We got three and two Jets. The vibes are high. I had to put the jersey on. So we're out here. We have a lot to go through. Let's not waste any time. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like if you enjoy the video. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, try to choose. I mean, I know I'm Now, before we get into our first takeaway here, I don't have much to promote on these top 10 takeaway videos, but if you're out there and you're like me, I don't really watch YouTube videos for fantasy content. I usually just listen to podcasts while I'm driving. And in the past, I've been very lazy about turning these episodes into audio files and uploading them to the podcast. But I've been very good about it the last like two weeks. I'm going to keep it strong. So if you're out there and you can't watch all these videos, you'd rather listen to them. I have podcasts set up on Spotify, Apple, Google Music, wherever you get your podcast from, I probably am uploading podcasts to that platform. I'll have a link down below in the description. I'll probably pin it at the top of the comments below where I have the links to all of those podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, all that good stuff. So in case of any of you guys out there want to listen to these instead of watch them, that is an option that I think I don't talk about enough. Now, our first takeaway here, and I think that we're going to start addressing this at the top, the rookie wide receiver reports. One of the more fun things that I've been doing this season where I track the targets, the routes, the yards per out run, all of the good stuff for these rookie wide receivers every week and kind of give you guys some things that stood out while I was charting this stuff. And this is what we got updated through week five. We still need Sky Moore to play tonight. But these are rookie wide receivers with five or more targets this season. And we're sort of just charting the route participation every week, their overall target volume, their efficiency on a target per route run basis, their efficiency on a yards per out run basis, and then their PFF grades. And the first takeaway here is as much of them on here, as much as I'm on here, vibes are high. We're celebrating a Jets W. I will hold my L on Chris Olave. I came out here. I like George Pickens more. I like Sky Moore more. I felt like they had more upside and a similar profile while not being seniors in college. We usually know that guys who aren't early declares coming out of school don't have super high ceilings. If you look at the best wide receivers in the game right now, Devontae Adams, Jefferson, uh, Chase, AJ Brown, all of these like young studs, all of them are early declares. You'll have like Cooper Cup at the top. I think Diggs was an early declare as well. We play the hit rates. Olave, clearly the early declare is not enough to hold his profile back. At this point, I think you can treat him as a top 10 to 12 dynasty wide receiver. He left this game early. He didn't have a great day yesterday, right? Where he played against the Seahawks. I think he was like six for 50 and like a touchdown, but he had an 87.2 PFF grade. Now PFF goes out there. They grade every single snap, and on a per-snap basis, Olave has looked amazing. He now has an 82.3 PFF grade on the season. This is the first week that he's now over an 80 PFF grade, which is an elite number that we're looking for. The list of first-round wide receivers who have an 82.3 PFF grade or better were OBJ, Justin Jefferson, Percy Harvin, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans, Demarius Thomas, end of list. Now, the rest of the season could go poorly for him and he could end up with like a 77 PFF grade, but I just kind of kind of wanted to highlight what kind of pace he's on at this very moment. Having above a 25% target per out run, above a 2.5 yards per out run is all very, very impressive from Chris Olave. I do think that he is showing up. He sort of looks like a Calvin Ridley right now, where Calvin Ridley, 
I actually think Calvin really wasn't early the Claire, but he was super old because he was like held back in high school. It was like this whole thing. But he came in as more of this older, refined route runner that I think Olave is kind of similar to. He reminds me a lot of Calvin Ridley. And I think that's kind of the bucket I would drop him in for right now, just in terms of his play style, what his ceiling looks like, all of that. Then we have Drake London. We're just going to go down wide receiver by wide receiver here. And we just have Arthur Smith is an idiot. London should never be under 90% of the routes. But London still looks borderline generational. And I will say that that was actually my, was it six? That's actually my seventh takeaway. We'll actually just go through it right here. If I can guess the correct screenshot here. Can we do it? Yep, we got it. And this is a great tweet from Dwayne McFarlane. This is technically our seventh takeaway. We'll call it our second. But it's Arthur Smith personnel malpractice here where it was Pitts last week. And now it's Drake London. I, I really do not understand where Arthur Smith's head is at. He loses this game to the Bucs in a game that was winnable. It was 21 to 15. The defense did everything that they needed to do for the Falcons to win. And he goes out here running the ball like crazy, having guys like Daryl Hodge and like Christian Blake run routes, Brian Edwards too, over Drake London. Drake London had a 62% route participation this week. Arthur Smith is getting Olamide Zacchaeus involved. Thankfully, London slowed a 29% target share. He's still commanding targets. He's still being efficient. But Arthur Smith is an absolute donkey of a coach. You absolutely hate to see it for the Falcons. I think short-term for seasonal, it's going to hurt both London and Pitts, and it absolutely sucks. I think long-term, Arthur Smith won't have a ton of staying power in the NFL. I think that both Pitts and London, their long-term view probably doesn't have Arthur Smith in it, but it is very annoying for the short-term. Now, back to our rookie wide receiver report. What else do we have to go through? We have Garrett Wilson here. And sadly, Garrett Wilson has kind of been quiet since Zach Wilson returned. He actually ran less routes for the first time this season than Corey Davis. He only had a 75% route participation. I will say on a per snap basis, he still looks good. Or per route basis, he still looks good. 23.5% targets per out run. 1.74 yards per out run isn't amazing, but it's still a fine number. And a, 60 sec and a PFF grade over 75 is also really strong. So I'm not panicking on him yet, but this idea that I had where he was like between London and Olave, I would now have Wilson and Olave pretty much neck and neck right now in terms of like dynasty elite talents, all of that stuff. Then we have George Pickens and George Pickens ties a career high in targets. He gets eight targets, but Kenny Pickett had like almost 50 dropbacks. So that eight target number actually put him under 20% targets per out run at 16% for the first week since week two. So it's not great. I will say his PFF grade is climbing. His PFF grade went up. He's almost sniffing 70 plus now, which is really solid. The issue is we need those targets per out run and we need the yards per out run to increase. 16.6% isn't great. 1.43 isn't great. Ideally, by the end of the season, we would like him to be like to be a top like 18 dynasty wide receiver. We probably need 70 plus PFF grade, 20% plus targets per out run, like 1.75 yards per out run or better. That's in the cards, but right now he looks a little bit pedestrian. He looks like he might just be a, you know, Will Fuller, Robbie Anderson type perimeter X wide receiver, like a DJ Chark uh, even, but we'll see. We'll see if he can sort of improve on those numbers. We have Romo Dobbs as well, who had kind of a quiet day. He had five targets, three catches, 29 yards on a 13.9% targets per out run, but he still had... 87.8% .8 of the the routes. I believe Christian Watson was back today. I'm trying to think of who else was back, but I think that's a little bit of the reason why he was down to an 87.8% route participation, but that was still solid. He's still a starting wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Better days are ahead. They use him as a blocker a lot, which 
there's a little bit of a dual dual edged sword there where he's getting a lot of routes, he's getting a lot of snaps, but he's blocking on a lot of them. So you kind of get the idea that okay, he's going to be on the field more, but on the field he won't be catching the ball as much. Um, he actually had a great like seal block, or he sealed the edge for Christian Watson on his touchdown. He's looked great as a blocker. He looked great all around. I, I don't think that he's just going to be used as a straight up blocker, um, but just sort of what ended up happening in London. We might as well talk about Christian Watson when we're on the Packers. He scored another touchdown, but he's using this sort of like gadgety type role. And I think that's a little bit of why his targets per out run is above 20%. He kind of gets manufactured touches and like, he's almost like a big, fast uh, Rondale Moore, like kind of like a Chase Claypool, but uh, way, way raw. Uh, you do hate to see his PFF grade at a 55.6. I want to say that's the worst, even worse than David Bell, but it's not overly concerning. I'd say he's tiptoeing the line of face planner, but he's showing enough, right? His, his round participation is like kind of the same since last week, but he is showing enough of targets, enough of touchdowns to not be completely dead in the water at this point uh we had Dotson and Burks hurt I loved what I saw from Alec Pierce on Thursday he ran 75% of the routes which was the first time that he ran over 50% of the routes since week one I thought he looked great on Thursday he had a 20% or better targets per out run he has a two plus yards per out run he is really interesting Alec Pierce is somebody who I think is going a little bit under the radar but he is looking very good on a per route basis then we have Kyle Phillips as well who had a really strong start, right? His like yards per out run is still like, or no, his targets per out run is still crazy at 27%. But he goes out there, he plays for 50% or more of the routes for the first time since week one, but he only gets two targets for seven yards. He's probably flashing the plant pan. I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, a name you need to know moving forward. But it's interesting that he's at least getting back on the field. Uh, Kalosha Kerr is one of the bigger notes. I probably should have put at the top here, but he goes from 0% of the routes to 24% last week to 71% this week. And he has a very similar college profile to Dobbs, where he's a group of five guy, but he looked good by the numbers, goes day three to a really elite offense, and he comes out here, and he looked great. He had a 19% targets per out run yesterday. He had a better than two yards per out run in the season. He has a 70 or better PFF grade at this point. Very solid. He's also drawing live right now to beat out McKenzie for the slot snaps when he comes back. So, Kalosha Kerr, very interesting. He feels a lot like Romeo Dobbs, like week one, week two. And then we have David Bell, who's pretty much dead at this point. Everything sucks. Robert's patient, I guess, is going up for David Bell, or not really. It went up from last week, but went down since week three. David Bell, I mean, if you could if you could sell him for a two in Dynasty all day. And then Sky Moore is yet to play. We'll have that tonight. I'll probably update the rookie wide receiver report on the Discord after that happens. Now, our second takeaway is the Gabe Davis experience. And this is what he is, right? This is what he is. 16% target share in week one, did amazing. Three quiet weeks in a, row, in a row. I will say he was like hurt and injured. And there was two games in there where the Bills went from scoring their usual like 30 plus points to scoring only like low 20s. So it was kind of a bunch of uh, factors going the wrong way for Gabe Davis. But he comes out here today, only a 16.7% target share, but this is Gabe Davis. He had six targets, three catches, 171 yards, two touchdowns. That is a week that wins you your week in fantasy. And that's kind of the thesis all along with Gabe Davis, where he wasn't going to be a target hawk. He wasn't going to get you that 30% target share, but he was going to be a full-time wide receiver in a valuable high A dot role attached to Josh Allen. And that would give you enough spike weeks to make him worth it. Uh, I think what people really got wrong with Gabe Davis this offseason was they fixated 
on the target share number, right? They fixated on, okay, so he's never been like over a 15% target share. He had a 10% target share last year, but that was because he only ran like 50% of the routes. So he was more like an 18% target share guy. Um, it did feel like the numbers guys were a little bit too fixated on stuff like target share with Gabe Davis. Now, Gabe Davis wasn't someone that was like a targeted ADP for me, but he wasn't this clear fade that like, oh, you can't go out here. You can't draft Gabe Davis. I was trying all offseason to make it clear that I was right on right on with Gabe Davis. His price was a little bit expensive in that like fourth round area, but I, I get it. I understand the role there. I understand the profile. I understand he's attached to Josh Allen. He's not going to win in the same way that Deontay Johnson will, but they'll both probably get to a similar area of like wide receiver two, where Deontay Johnson will do it on volume and targets alone. Gabe Davis will do it on efficiency from like huge spike plays from Josh Allen. And that's just how it is. So Gabe Davis, I wouldn't turn around and like try and sell him unless you're getting something crazy for him. But this is what he's going to be. He is going to be somebody that is probably going to give you like less than five points a few times. He'll also be somebody who gives you 20 or more points a few times as well. You just have to have a good enough roster to live with that. Our third takeaway is Brees Hall is inevitable and a caution to those fading helmet decals. Brees Hall is currently RB7 in PPR. He played 68% of the snaps. He had 11 of 12 third down and fourth down snaps. He had five out of six snaps inside the 10. He is operating almost as a bell cow here. He had 18 carries on the ground, 97 yards and a touchdown. He had two targets, two catches, 100 yards through the air where he actually had this really great wheel route. He catches a pass play like 15, 20 yards downfield and takes it like 79 yards. He looks fast. He looks explosive. He already looks like a fringe top 10 running back in the NFL. I am very excited about Brees Hall. He had 27.7 points. And I kind of just wanted to show this rant I had on Twitter this morning where I was just kind of talking about Brees Hall, the fantasy asset, and kind of reflecting on the people that were so against Brees Hall, where I had a video, it's one of my most viewed videos, I think I got like 50,000 views, but I said Brees Hall was the cheapest bell cow running back in fantasy drafts and that he was going to be a league winner. And if you go back to that video and look at all the comments, it's just like, he's on the Jets, they're going to suck, the Jets suck, I can't trust a Jets running back, there hasn't been a good Jets running back since Thomas Jones, which isn't true. We've had Chris Ivory, um, who was pretty sweet for us for a little bit. Um, but people love to just say, okay, he's on the Jets. He can't be good. I think the issue is that people have is just like the ADP of all the Jets were super suppressed, right? They think the Jets are going to be awful. The Jets often is going to be a dumpster fire. And for sure that was in the cards. Now I'm a Jets fan, but I tried to, I try to not be a Jets homer as much as I can. And if you look at my if you look at my exposure from last season, I wasn't like all in on Michael Carter and, you know, I, did we have like Chris Herndon at that point? I wasn't all in on these random guys from the Jets just because they played for the Jets. But this was a year where things were coming together. Where if you look at this last tweet on the bottom, their PFF position ranks going into the season was 24th at running back, 18th at wide receiver, 13th at O-line, top 10 on established to run, 16th D-line, 5th on established to run, 17th defensive backs. This was the best roster they've had in some time. And I felt like there was upside there. I wasn't going to say, okay, this is going to be a team 1000% that is going to be a top 10 team in the NFL. But if you kind of understand the wide range of outcomes of a young team like this, that just spent a draft pick on Garrett Wilson, on Brees Hall, Sauce Gardner, there's a lot of variance here. And Zach Wilson heading into year two, if he plays any better. So there's a wide range. And I, you, you fully accept when you draft a guy like Brees Hall or any of these guys on the Jets that, okay, the Jets can be a bottom five offense, but there's enough talent here, right? This is the best skill position group the Jets have had 
since Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, there's upside for more there. So instead of getting fixated on the Jets, the Jets will always be the Jets. The Jets will always suck. Look at the players, not the decal, because that's how you miss out on the Bengals last year, right? Where the Bengals have been a bad team since like Carson Palmer left. Joe Burrow comes out here, they get T. Higgins, they get Jamar Chase, and everything sort of lines up together so that they are very good. I think that we really get fixated on these bad teams and just treat them as bad teams. And it goes for the Lions and the Seahawks as well, where if you just bought into Amon Ross St. Brown's talent or Swift's talent and got past, okay, this is an ugly team, you're doing great. Same thing with the Seahawks, where DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, two wide receivers who have been top 24, like each of the last two to three years, guys who we know are very talented, can't draft them. They have Geno Smith, Pete Carroll holds the offense back. But if you just draft talented players and understand that the NFL is crazy and unpredictable, that is kind of how you can profit long-term, especially just given we don't know what the hell is going on, man. We truly don't know. Is anybody going to say that they thought going into the season that Geno Smith could be a like borderline MVP candidate? No. There's things that are out of our control. So I do just find myself betting on talent, especially rookie talent like a Brees Hall, because you don't know how, could he, how good he could be. He could come out here, be a rookie. He could be the next Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, or he could go out there and be the next Trey Sermon. But I kind of the the way that you win fantasy with these running backs in the middle rounds is leaning into that uncertainty and sort of letting the chips fall where they may. So everyone out there that drafted Brees Hall or traded for him after I had him as a trade target last week, hats off to you guys. Brees Hall looks like a, a bona fide league winner. We haven't even hit like the bye week or anything. I think that there's a lot more to come for Brees Hall. Then our fourth takeaway is, is Alvin Kamara a top five running back rest of season? His workload yesterday was very nice. He had 72% of the snaps, which was elite. He had 23 of 32 running back carries. 23 carries for Kamara is crazy. He had six targets for a 24% target share. Also crazy. 29 overall touches, 194 total yards, 23.4 points, despite having no touchdowns. If that usage sticks, he is in the conversation for like RB4, RB5 up there with like Derrick Henry, Chubb, Mixon, any of those guys you want to put in there, this looks like it could be the start to Kamara's, you know, sort of like vintage type role manifest. You're not even vintage role because he's he's never been a 20 plus tar- or carry guy outside of like last year. So we could see him be a bell cow between the tackles and then also see like a 20% plus target share, which is really interesting. If you have Alvin Kamara's shares, I do feel like he's sort of just revived himself this week. Now, our fifth takeaway, and it feels like this is the takeaway like every other week, but it's Ramondre Stevens season. All right. We've been saying Ramondre Stevens season since last week, and he had a breakout performance today where he had 54 snaps, 16 routes run, 27 touches, 175 total yards. He had 25 carries for 161 yards on the ground. He ran 64% of the routes and 65% plus is like that Eckler, Kamara, Aaron Jones area. So he's right in that elite area of catching passes. He has juice. He's fifth in explosive rush rate. He's eighth in avoided tackle rate. He led all running backs in snap share as well at 89%. I hate to sort of like victory lap an injury. And I'm not even really going to. I actually have more Damian Harris than I have Ramondre Stevenson in managed leagues. Um, you have Damian Harris who has a hamstring injury. And as long as he's out, Ramondre Stevenson is going to flirt with RB1 numbers. And even with Damian Harris in, I think Ramondre Stevenson probably flirts with like top 15 running back numbers. And that's assuming that Bill Belichick has seen enough from Ramondre to not like want to use Ty Montgomery when Ty Montgomery is healthy. And I think that 
that's a toss-up at this point, right? We could see Ty Montgomery back and just take away the pass-catching role. But Bill Belichick spoke glowingly about Ramondre Stevenson yesterday, and I don't think that you hear him talk about this about a lot of players. He said, you have to give him a ton of credit. With Damian out, we only carried two backs for the game, and he put it all on his shoulders and finished with a couple of first downs there at the end of the game and four-minute offense. And that's because they only had Damian Harris. They only had Ramondre Stevenson. Damian Harris goes down. Ramondre Stevenson was the guy the rest of the game. And Belichick said, yeah, he is always good. He does a great job with the ball in his hands. He's a strong runner, but he can make people miss. He's a really good football player, really a good football player. So glad we have him. He said he had a couple of blitz pickup plays right in the middle, or he had a couple of blitz pickup plays right up the middle where he stepped up there. He's a good all-around back. Love him. Love him, the coach added. He loves Stevenson. He loves his entire skill set. Him having a, what is this, the fifth highest explosive rush rate and eighth highest avoided tackle rate at like 231 pounds is crazy. Ramondre Stevenson is a legit talent. He's a legit running back. The role is there. It is firmly wheels up, even if Damian Harris's injury isn't long-term. Now, I also want to touch on the ETN stuff. Uh, our sixth takeaway is ETN fire and ice. He had a decent day, right? So he outsnaps James Robinson 53% to 41%. He had 15 opportunities to James Robinson's 12. It's an encouraging touch split. Finally, a game where the Jaguars aren't like up big the entire time. It kind of shows you when it's going to be a trailing game script or a competitive game. ETN, I'm not going to call ETN the preferred back, but it's not like James Robinson is the preferred back at all. And ETN was efficient, right? He didn't score any touchdowns. He didn't put up a ton of fantasy points, but 10 carries for 71 yards is very good. Five targets, three catches, 43 yards, also very good. And the reason I say fire and ice is that he shows so many flashes, but he also has some really ugly plays, man. And it's very it's very difficult to sort of reconcile what to think about ETN because um, I was reading Jacob Sanderson's breakdown. We've had Jacob Sanderson on the channel a bunch of times. He has a really good breakdown of all the, or like six games right now on the Bulletproof Discord. I'm sure you guys know uh, Drew, Bulletproof Discord, all that good stuff. And he was breaking down the games and he was doing a really nice, like intricate film breakdown of ETN. And it's so frustrating because he looks special. Like his acceleration is insane. You get him, you know, a run up the gut and he'll have it at the first down marker. If he just has a clear lane within like three to four strides, like he is upfield, he goes north and south, but he has some very, very frustrating plays where he just makes such a such like such a bad bad play like such a negative negative outcome on a lot of these plays where it is tough to see a coach want to trust him in a bell cow role 80 percent of the touches 80 percent of the snaps kind of thing which looks like for now it's going to cap his upside he had i mean obviously in the first game he had like the drop on the goal line i think he might have even like fumbled near the goal line but then he also had like a crazy catch down field on like a wheel route he gives you so much good, and then he also gives you just as much bad. Where in this game, he had multiple big plays, right? Where he's giving you huge chunk plays. He's moving the chains. He looks special with the ball in his hands. And then he runs a Texas route out of the backfield, cuts across the middle, and he, like, body catches it and, like, has to cut up field, switch hands, and he just, like, the ball drops. And then he has, like, a swing route where Trevor Lawrence doesn't even throw that bad of a pass. And he's, like, it's, like, one of the, the weirdest catch animations. Like, it's, we're not even playing Madden. Animation is the only way that I know how to describe it. And it's just, like bounced off his numbers but then the next play he takes the ball reads the blockers correctly gets like 15 yards of uh yards in the rushing game and he looks great so it's really tough um 
Like, I don't even, I, I really don't know what to think about ETN. That's why I called it Fire and Ice. He has stretches where he looks really special, and then he gives you just a super boneheaded play out of nowhere. Uh, I think the upside's crazy. I think if James Robinson was ever to go down, ETN would be like a top 15-ish type guy. Until then, he's probably just going to flirt with like RB30, where you can start him in desperate spots on hero RB teams. But outside of that, probably not yet. We're probably going to need... It's going to be tough for him to ever like truly take over the role or take over the backfield completely without a Robinson injury. But for now, somebody to monitor, somebody I feel really good about in Dynasty. He looks special. All the disappointment for ETN this year hasn't been so much him being a bust, but just Robinson being very good. Now, there's also things that ETN can do that Robinson can't do. ETN is way faster. He's better in the passing game. Um, but there's also plays or there's mistakes that James Robinson just won't make that ETN will. Then we have Arthur Smith, personnel malpractice. We already went through that. Our eighth takeaway is Jacoby Myers, Deontay Johnson, Spider-Man meme. They are very similar profiles at this point. They should be respected as such. Uh, this is a great tweet from Jacob Sanderson saying, Jacob Myers in 2022, he has nine targets per game at this point. I think he's been healthy for three games. Nine targets per game, 6.7 receptions per game, 87 yards per game, 32% target share. He's basically a round four wide receiver that we got to draft in round 12, and he's pretty much always been this guy. He is the wide receiver eight right now in PPR with eight targets, seven catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown this week. Wide receiver eight in PPR, or in PPR points per game through three games. He is probably at this point a top 30, top 36 guy rest of season, somebody that you can start pretty confidently every week. It's actually crazy that he has maintained a 30% plus snap share or target share despite having Mac Jones for two games, now Bailey Zappi this past week. Jacoby Myers, I think, is a bona fide target earner at this point. Then I wrote down as our ninth takeaway, new look Washington backfield. Right? I kind of just wanted to touch on how things look with Brian Robinson back in the fold, and it's a mess. If you look at all plays, McKissick had 25 of the plays, uh, Gibson had 19, Brian Robinson had 18. So it was really like McKissick had like 45, 50%. And then you're kind of just splitting things 25%, 25% between Gibson and Brian Robinson, which isn't really good for anybody. And at most is a massive downgrade for Gibson, who had just three three carries for six yards on the ground, four targets, three catches, 33 yards through the air, only seven opportunities. Gibson is probably now a like fringe RB3, RB4, not somebody you can really start every week. The production you got from Gibson early on in the year, you can pretty much kiss that away, which really sucks. Then we have Brian Robinson, nine carries for 22 yards. Not super efficient, but really cool to see a guy who got shot and possibly wasn't going to play the rest of the year get nine carries in his first game back. He led the backfield in opportunities. He had nine. Gibson had seven. McKissick had seven. I imagine this being Brian Gibson's first game back, not going to give him a full workload. So, those nine carries could expand. He only had 18 snaps. Those could very likely expand. Brian Robinson trending in the right direction. I don't think you can start him. I wouldn't feel good about starting him until he really, really takes over here. And then we have McKissick, seven opportunities. He had seven targets, five catches, 37 through the air. He will just have his same passing game role. I think that Brian Robinson hurts Gibson much more than it does McKissick. And our last takeaway here, is it's Kenneth Walker time. It's Kenneth Walker time. We have Rashad Penny. He goes down. You absolutely hate to see. He's out for the season for like, feels like the fourth time 
or fourth year of his like sixth year NFL career that he is missing the entire year for an injury. It really sucks, but that gives Kenneth Walker a huge, huge boost. He had yesterday a really nice long run, long touchdown. He ends up with eight carries, 88 yards, a touchdown, and he looks really good on a per snap, per attempt basis. He is third among running backs right now with a minimum 20 attempts in avoided tackle rate. He's second in yards after contact per rush with 5.74. He looks good. Uh, he had 27 snaps to DJ Dallas's two, I believe. Uh, DJ Dallas, or not not two, maybe it was 12. But DJ Dallas had the passing game role. He was out there two-minute drill, out there in long downs. And Walker pretty much was the between-the-tackles guy, but still operated, I want to say like 80% plus of the snaps after Rashad Penny was gone, but he's in a great spot. He's the lead back with a lot of explosion, a lot of long speed on an offense that is seventh in scoring right now, headed by Geno Smith. So as long as he's in this environment on this team, he is now a pretty easy RB2 option, and he even has the upside to take the pass catching role from DJ Dallas. And this was sort of Jacob Sanderson's take. I thought that he summarized it well, where he said, Walker is a fairly similar talent profile to Penny, albeit with less proven in the run game albeit less proven in the run game at the NFL level, but with that is more upside of the unknown in the receiving game. He's available in 55% of Yahoo leagues. He is worth 100% of the fabs if on waivers in your leagues. I'll probably talk about him tomorrow in the waiver video, uh, but he's somebody you need to be extremely aggressive on. He could be one of the guys you had to have this year or had to have this year. We know rookie running backs or rookies in general are talent profiles we want to be targeting. And then he says the benefit of Walker, of course, is while... Penny had a second talented running back nipping at his heels. Walker only faces competition for passing downs. His role is going to be similar to 2021 Gibson or just like weeks one through four Antonio Gibson. I don't even know what bifurcated deployment is. Jacob is like a lawyer and he sometimes says words that I can't understand, but he's going to have probably all the goal line work, all the early down stuff, all the short yardage work, and then you'll have upside to eventually get snaps on long downs, on passing downs in the two minute drill. Very, very exciting for Kenneth Walker, who already looks extremely efficient, extremely explosive. Somebody I actually just put as my RB6 in the recent Dynasty Rankings update. People were not happy about it. it I'll, I'll be honest, I sort of luck boxed my way into that looking a lot better just one day later. But as a 21-year-old rookie running back with a strong round two profile, and just given how old running backs are right now and how bad or injured running backs are right now, I think when we look back after the season's over, you know, I think Kenneth Walker should have that ETN type value where ETN didn't even play his rookie year, but just because of age and potential, he was like RB8 at some point in the, the offseason. I'd be shocked if Kenneth Walker wasn't a top 10 running back in Dynasty in like December, January. So that is going to do it for us today. That is our 10 takeaways, lessons learned, whatever you want to call them from the fantasy football day that we had yesterday. Let me know or not let me know. But I just want to sort of circle back. Make sure you hop on there. Check out the podcast. It'll be on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Um, it should be under like Ron Stewart versus the world. Uh, I'll make sure the links are in the comments, in the description. So if you want to go out there, you want to listen instead of watch, those options will all be available to you. I will see you guys for the waiver wire video tomorrow morning. As always, I love you guys. And I will see you in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Channel, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kinda glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from misdemeanor.